Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. Good morning, everybody. I've been looking forward to today because we're, as a church, coming down from a fast. Um, and Sherry and, I, <laughs> Sherry and I did not just, you know, total disclaimer, we didn't do a total fast, we did a partial fast, but I'm still, still happy about today. And if that doesn't sound very spiritual to you, then well, I can't do anything about it. So. <laughs> we are in the book of Philippians, so if you either um, want to follow in your Bible or um, phone, chapter 1, or on the screen, of course. I was given the assignment of the last part of this chapter from verse 12 on. There's a lot of verses there. I looked through that, and the common theme that I saw running throughout those last verses of Philippians is hardship. And so that's going to be our topic today. And specifically, it's how to endure hardship. Hardship is a part of life. It's something that God allows it's something that we, um, we just can't avoid it because we're humans. And every one of us experiences it. And God's purpose through it is not just that we endure. That's the title of the message, how, to, how we endure or how to endure hardship. But it's also to let him grow us through it. So there's purposes and things that God is doing in all of it. Um, but let me start off with, in my own life, God has just been so good to Sherry and I. And as I look back and I think of the song, The Goodness of God, and you know the song I'm talk, talking about, he has just been so good. All of my life, you've been faithful. I can look back on that. And we have never, um, she and I have never experienced a great, great heartache, okay? I know that many of you have, but it has, hasn't been us. Uh, we've just been blessed. And so within that kind of context, I want to share uh, just a couple of things that, uh, as I thought about it in my own life, uh, hardship. And again, everybody experiences hardship, so none of us are, are uh, immune to this. So one area that I thought of immediately was financial. And this goes back to early in our marriage. Um, we were rather poor. And when I say that, I am not, I don't want to overdo do it. We weren't homeless, and you know we had enough food to eat and all that. But um, I would consider us on the poor side. Now, when I say we were poor, you might say, "How poor were you?" Right? <laughs> um, we were so poor that we did can walks. Now, if you don't know what a can walk is, and all of my kids know exactly what a can walk is, that's where you get some big trash bags together and you walk along the side of the road and you collect aluminum cans, and you can get about a penny for each of those cans, and so we would do that and get a bunch of them together and take them and redeem them. Uh, we'd get maybe $10, $12 for that, and then we would take that to a grocery store and get some extra groceries. It sounds kind of pitiful now that I think about that. Um, and you could get more for that much money in those days, <laughs> you know, like 10 times more than, than what you can get today. Um, but the other area and this one was, has been a little bit more serious, is um, health hardship in my wife. I've been blessed. Uh, my health has been good, but hers just hasn't been. 
and I got permission from her to share some of the details of, of what she went through. Uh, at age 49, she had a heart attack, uh, just hit us all out of the blue, and um, you know, she went in for what we thought was just a routine, uh, routine angioplasty, and all of a sudden she's uh, having surgery, open heart surgery, triple bypass at age 49. So it was a big, big deal. Hit us all hard, and uh, you know they. I, these, I guess these things are routine, but for us it wasn't. That was a big, big deal. And I'm contemplating, you know, uh, well, what if? All, all the what ifs in that. And this is the thing. It, it's she has heart disease, and um, it's a kind of an ongoing thing. It's uh, the it's angina or. Uh, some people call it angina. I really don't know what is the correct pronunciation of that. But it's an ongoing condition where every now and then she ha has chest pain. And so every now and then that will get, get so severe that uh, we've got to go to the hospital. We can't take the chance. And so she keeps track of all these things and we've gone to the hospital, uh, that would be the ER, uh, we, we count 15 times. And that would be in, over the last 20 years. Okay. Um, there were some times where it turned out to be just angina, nothing, nothing else, but um, we counted 11 times where they actually did a procedure on her. And that would, by a procedure, uh, it's an angioplasty, it's this catheterization process where they feed a, uh, a little scope up through your arterial system, and if you need something done work-wise, they can put stents and balloons in it. So uh, most of those times they found nothing, um, but three times in her chest, they put st new stints in, and one time it was the leg, and, and leg problems are also related here, uh, so they, and they put a balloon in her leg. Um, but when we talk about facing hardship in our life, I know many of you can top that. I, I know without a doubt, uh, there are those of you right here who have experienced tragedy and, and extreme heartache that is beyond anything that Sherry and I have experienced. When we experience hardship, when we're going through it, and all of us do it, there's a perspective that we can have that allows God to work, that gives us hope, that, that allows God to do what he wants to do through it. In chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul models this kind of perspective on hardship and really shows us through his circumstances and uh, through the circumstances of those, the Philippian church that he's writing to, how to do this, how to experience it, how God wants to work through it. And uh, by anybody's measure, Paul experienced some real serious hardship. He's imprisoned falsely. He is on trial for his life. And as he writes the book of Philippians, he doesn't know which way the outcome is going to go. Um, I cannot imagine being in that kind of situation. So he teaches us through his own experience how to face hardship and what God is wanting to do through it. So if you um, would follow with me, or we go to the, the screen. Yeah, we're just going to look at some scripture um, this morning. I want to just um, think I'm going to break, break this down a bit uh, verse by verse. We're, we're going to look at verses 12 through 18 first of all. He says, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want to just stop for a moment there. What has happened to me while well, he's in prison in Rome? Uh, if you read the book of, of Acts, which is the early history of the church, it brings us to his 
last journey to Rome, and as he ends his time, um, or at the end of chapter 28 of Acts, Paul's in prison. It's about a two-year period there. And it is during that time that he wrote some of the, um, the epistles or letters that we have in our New Testament. And probably during that period of time, the last one that he wrote was the book of Philippians. So he's in prison. Sherry and I have been to uh, Rome, and we went past where they uh, feel likely that his, the area that he was incarcerated in. Um, and it's a, an area below ground. It's right in the heart of the old city. Lots of ruins all, all around there, the forum and all that. It uh, doesn't look like a very pleasant place at all. Uh, we didn't actually go down into it. I don't know why we uh, didn't. It would have been interesting to do that, but we walked past it. Um, but that was the situation that he was in as he is writing to the Philippians. And so um, back again, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So this very negative circumstance that he is experiencing had a benefit. And he said, it has become known everywhere. Now, uh, he's, my translation here says the imperial guard the Greek is Praetorium, and it's probably the individuals that were part of that. The, in the uh, Roman world, the Praetorium, would have been the, um, the residential quarters of the provincial governors throughout the empire. So in Rome, it probably was part of the, the area where the emperor lived, and there were many soldiers who were part of what was called the Praetorian or the Imperial Guard. So he says, it's become known throughout all of those individuals who are guarding me why I'm here. It's for Christ. And not only them, but to all in Rome. So he's talking about unbelievers as well as to the believing Christians. They all knew uh, why I was here. Um, but it was having a very positive effect, that, that knowledge. And then verse, let's go to verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So there's a positive effect coming from him being in prison. Uh, rather than being a disruption in the working of God, it was a great encouragement to Paul. He's pleased with what he sees. Uh, people know why he's here. And uh, people are preaching, and the, and the faith is spreading, and uh, positive things. There's a good outcome that is coming from all of it. And so he's very, very encouraged. Rather than sitting in a dungeon uh, cell, uh, in a dungeon, I made up a word there, didn't I? Dungeon. <laughs> Not Tony. No. Um, but rather than being discouraged, he's very encouraged by what he sees and realizes is happening. But, verse, uh, I want to look at verses 15. This is kind of like a uh, footnote, verses 15 uh, through 18. Because not all of those who were spreading the gospel did it from a good motive. But the point here is going to tie in, you'll see. All right. So verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, uh, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether to, in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, 
and in that I rejoice. There were those who had positive motives, and out of love for Paul, they saw what he's going through, and man, they saw his faith, and that was an encouragement, and they preached all the more. And just like today, there are those who preach the gospel with false, wrong motives. You know what I mean? Um, because there is a certain ego that gets stoked when you're preaching in front of a very large crowd. And uh, many today have, fallen, have been susceptible to the, uh, the, just the trappings of the egotism and what I would call a party spirit. And some of these were actually probably not all that unhappy that Paul is out of the picture because that gives them the audience, that gives them the freedom then, and they're getting the accolades. So something like that that is going on here, but despite those circumstances, Paul says, I'm still rejoicing because the message of God is going out, and people are coming to faith, and God is working positive things from them, and uh, as it speaks of his rejoicing there, one of the things to take notice is that that is going to be a constant theme throughout the book of Philippians see it multiple times, more so than any letter Paul wrote. I rejoice, and, and he'll speak of joy, and uh, he, he wants them to be rejoicing also. But he says, despite everything that's going on, I'm, I'm really pleased. I, I'm rejoicing in what I am seeing. Okay, application-wise, this is it. In every circumstance that you're facing, no matter how hard God is working in that situation, something positive. Now that's the principle of Romans 8 28, which says, and we know that in all to those who love God, all things work together for good. Now when, and it's the, the author there is Paul also. The actual context there is suffering. And so if you are uh, looking I'm going to read it just from here. Um, go back to verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That's the context. It wasn't just minor stuff, but people at Rome are experiencing suffering. And so it's in that context, he said, for those who love God, all these things work together. Some translations say God works all things together for good. And that's true as well. So that's a principle that is always at work and I think that Paul would say to us, when you're in a hard situation, or you're in a hardship, no matter what it is, look for the good that God is doing. My um, college professor named George Wood told a story about his grandparents who were missionaries to China in the uh, 1920s and 1930s up into the 1940s. And they were in a rural area of China, and they had a very, very small church, and during that period of time, they just didn't seem to be able to get anything going. The results were so meager and so minimum until the 1940s, communi the communists came in and took over and all Christian missionaries were expelled. And as far as they knew, that was the end of everything that they had worked for. And they returned to America that way. So it was in the 1970s that my professor, George Wood, had opportunity to go back to China. And he hunted, he was able to hunt up that rural area where his grandfather had preached so many years ago, and what he found was an underground group of Christians that was not just getting by, but they were thriving. And that's one of the results 
that has happened in China is that, and by underground, it's not out in the open. There are official churches, but they have to register with the government, and in registering with the government, there's a great deal of control. So the, the large movement of Christianity has been in churches, and they don't have official buildings, they don't have signs, they don't publish, they just meet in homes. And there was a thriving Christian community. He sought out some of the older members, and there were some members that remembered his grandfather. And that so spoke to him that all the work that had been done all that time did not go to waste, but that there was a witness to the faith in Christ that had persisted during all those years of communism. Ah, God does not let our hardships go to waste. He works through them and works good in them. So the first, you know, in the we're saying how to endure hardship, the first thing in how to endure hardship is see the benefit that God is bringing to us. Okay? To remember that. See, see what God, look, look for it, expect it. Look for what God is doing that's going to be good in the situation that you are facing. Let's go on to that next section, uh, verse 19. And, uh, I'm going to begin with the end of verse 18 uh, because, uh, again, he's been talking about in, in verse 18, I rejoice. And then he says at the very last part of verse 18, yes, and I will rejoice. You see how constant that theme is? Um, he's not down. He's in prison, but, but he's not down. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul has a joyful confidence in the midst of very hard circumstances, and we see that his confidence is in two things. One is the prayers of the Christians, but the other is in divine help, the Spirit of Christ. So with those two things together, that's the source of his confidence, and it's not just a confidence, but it's a joyful confidence. Now, What's his circumstance here? Well, as you look at the end of the book of Acts, he's imprisoned in Rome for a period of two years. And at the end of Acts, it doesn't look like it's very serious. But by the end of that period, which is when he wrote to the Philippian church, things have taken a turn for the worse. And he is now on trial, and it's become very, very serious. And he's on trial for his life. That's his circumstances. And he doesn't know how it's going to go. He doesn't know if he's going to be acquitted or if he's going to be executed. And those are the two choices. So as he writes this with a joyful conf confidence, he doesn't know if he's facing life or he's facing death. Um, that's, that's, a hard, that's a hardship. I, I can't imagine facing a situation like that. Let's go to verse 21. For... To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means faithful labor for me. You see, whichever way it goes, he's confident. His confidence doesn't shift depending upon the circumstances and the outcome. Whichever way it goes, the outcome's positive. If he is acquitted, he says, it's gain. For me to live is Christ. So that could mean a couple of things. 
I think it means both. One is in the pre his own personal life, there is a unity with Christ, and he lives his life in Christ, like it says in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, and it's not me that Christ lives in me. That's part of it, but then there's also Christ is going to be glorified in his body. He says fruitful labor. He's going to be able to proclaim Christ and represent Christ and speak Christ to others. And so for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's better. He's going to be with Christ. And so that's his perspective here. Either way, it's good. Last part of verse 22. But to mighty, okay, verse, and I'm reading from a, a hard text here. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. What his, what his preference is is actually a dilemma for him. He, he's not sure which way he really prefers it here. Isn't that amazing? Which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, is to depart. That's an interesting statement. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, but that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. His personal desire, if he, if he dies, if it's execution, he'll be with Christ. That's the next step, and, and he's just fine with that. But for the Philippians, the best thing is for him to remain with them because they have a close relationship, and he can continue to, to be with them and encourage them and strengthen them as well as have fruitful ministry in, in many, for Christ in many other ways. And so he said, either way, he's good. But verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Did you notice the, the end of verse 25 there? Uh, he says, uh, I know that I will remain and continue with all for your progress and joy. So many references to joy throughout this book. But because of... His, uh, his sense and realization that there is benefit to the Philippian believers if he continues to live. He says, that's what I think is going to happen. And he's anticipating being re reunited with them. Just as a footnote here, we believe that that's probably what did happen. We believe that, that at the end of that two-year imprisonment that he was acquitted. It doesn't say that in the Bible. <coughs> but he's got some some letters that he wrote, we call them the pastoral epistles, that would be First and Second Timothy and Titus, that have many historical details in them that just can't be fit into the story in Acts. And so it's very likely that he was released. That is what scholars feel happened, that he was released and, and for a period of time. And then those details from those pastoral epistles fit into place. And then as you read Second uh, Timothy, he's again facing the uh, very likely arrest and probably the end of his life. Okay, so his um, his confidence at this time as he's writing this is, I think it's from from the Philippian believers' perspective, it's better if I stay. And so that's what I think is going to happen, and that is exactly what, what did happen. As we apply this, Paul's circumstances were hard by any measure, but you know if he can have that kind of confidence facing a very real life or death situation. 
personally, I don't think I want to know when I'm going to die. <laughs> but um, that was the very real possibility for him was death. Very real possibility. But if in that situation of uncertainty, he could have this confidence that we're talking about in God, then really that encourages me in whatever hardship I'm experiencing, no, no matter what it is. That is an encouragement to me, that I can face that hardship with confidence. My sister, well, let me back up by saying that in our generation, that would be Sherry and my generation, and we have two siblings, uh, and my sister has two siblings. And in that generation, we have never experienced death until my sister lost her husband two years ago. So we've, uh, I've lost my parents, but uh, not our generation. We just haven't experienced it. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. But uh, my sister faced the situation of a spouse that had pancreatic cancer. And he just, uh, over a four-year period, struggled with that. Treatments, um, God allowed him to continue to work. Um, it was two years ago that she called and uh, said, he's really not doing well. And, um, you know, we're, we've been praying the whole time. But in that conversation, what stood out to me was um, there was just this quiet confidence in God. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. And, and, uh, but it's in God's hands. And um, no matter what, God's in control. And I'm going to be okay. So I got that sense, that real strong sense from her in that conversation. And then it was within two weeks after that that he passed away. Um, I want to read a few portions of a letter that I received from her recently. She says, to those of you who do not know, Lynn, that, that's my brother-in-law's name, Lynn passed away uh, April 17, 2021, after a difficult but determined four-and-a-half-year battle with pancreatic cancer. Thankfully, he was able to teach until two weeks before his death. That was one blessing of COVID online school for both of us. We both taught from home that year we're able to spend more time together outside of class time because of the pandemic. Uh, what that spoke to me is just thankfulness. Okay, throughout the letter, there's thankfulness. We were able to spend more time together outside of class because of the pandemic and having to, no commute. I treasure knowing I could be there for him in those final weeks. It is never easy to lose a loved one, but God was gracious to be with us and did not let him suffer long and never be in the hospital his final days. And in the next paragraph, I'm not going to read all of it, but it's just uh, thankfulness. I am thankful for this, and I am thankful for this, and I am thankful for this. She was able to, to just through all of that, remain confident in God. And then there's this line. It has been a journey without Lynn, but with God's help, each day is fulfilling in a new way. Uh, a joyful confidence, and it, sometimes, you know, I can't repl replicate the joyful part of that, I'll be honest with you, but still God wants us to have this confidence. And so, second point today in the message, um, how to endure hardship, is this, let God give you confidence, not dependent upon the outcome. And I know that's hard, and I don't, I don't like the potential outcome either, but that's what Paul, I think, would say to you. If he was here and speaking to you today, I think he would say, well, whatever happens, put it in God's hands and be confident. 
even though you don't know how this thing that you are facing is going to work out. Let's go to the last uh, section of Scripture, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Uh, let me comment on when he says, let your manner of life uh, be this way. He's be we're actually beginning a section that's going to go into chapter 2. It's how, how you should live, the, the attitude and perspective of, of living your life. It's throughout the whole next chapter. But there is a connection, and I was deciding, okay, do I, do I include this last section with the message? Am I going to something different? Because there is a transition here from Paul's hardship to a focus upon the Philippian Christians. But there is a, com a common theme here, and it's hardship. So we've been talking about how Paul endured hardship, and now there's just a transition to this is how the Philippians can endure their own hardship. So I felt because of that, okay, I can tie that in, because uh, that's another thing that Paul's saying to us. Okay, so let's, let's look again at that scripture. Um, I want to go back to verse 27 again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. Take note of these words. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of your destruction, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So there's an admonition here to Philippian Christians who are experiencing the same kind of suffering and persecution that Paul was facing. It's the same, same thing. He was going through it in Rome, but they're experiencing it as well in the city of Philippi. And so his, his words very much apply then uh, to himself as well as to the Philippian Christians as he says, stand firm in one spirit with, let me read it, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Gosh, that's good. I, I want to see that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened of anything by your opponents. Okay, so application. Hardship is simply better when you do it with other believers, when you're together with others. Don't face it alone. Whatever your hardship is, bring others, uh, because strength and encouragement come from your connection with others. Facing it alone... Um, yeah, God's still with you, but he intended the help that comes from others around you. So when you are uh, facing struggle, it's time to connect with others. Now, back to my sister's situation, one of the things that really helped her through her widowhood, and it's been for the last two years, was she, she had Christian female friends that she hasn't connected with in her community. And that has been a huge source of help to her. And... Uh, from all appearances, it seems like she is really doing well, and uh, what a struggle that she had, but God's brought her through that, but it very much has been with the help of others around her, so if you're facing hardship, just don't face it alone. It's a time to intentionally connect with others, so whatever hardship you're facing today, just want to admonish you, bring God 
into that situation that you're facing. Uh, just go b going back over the three things that we've talked about, Paul's um, admonitions on principles on how to endure hardship. The first is see the benefit that God is bringing through it. Secondly, that God give you a confidence despite the outcome. Confident in him no matter what the outcome is. And thirdly, stand firm in unity in one spirit, in one faith with other believers. God really has a way for you to get through this. I'm going to pray. I want to invite the uh, worship team to come back to the stage. Lord, I pray for those who are just struggling even today with uh, hard, hard issues. And you know every situation. I don't. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that uh, uh, I, I haven't faced some of the greatest hardships that are possible in life, but uh, some of us here have. And I just pray for your, your strengthening and your encouragement in the life of those who just don't know the outcome of the situation that they're facing right now. could go either way, but they just don't know. I just pray that you would build faith and hope, Lord. I pray for hope to fill that life right now. Give them a confidence in you that is supernatural, does not come from anything within, but it comes from you. I pray for that confidence and that encouragement to fill their lives. And let, let us look to that example that Paul gave in his very, very difficult situation uh, where he just looked to you and uh, you, you brought him the confidence and you worked positive through it. So I just want to thank you, Lord, for uh, giving us this word and the encouragement that it is to us today.